God, we just say that this morning, Father, that just as we um, hang out with you, that we're your kids, and uh, we're just ready for a word from you. We love you so much, and we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All of us have heard that statement, if you quit wanting it, if you just get your place out of that place, guess what? It'll come. It'll happen. You will meet your future mate. And we, it drives all of us crazy. Is this not right? Am I saying something that we're all on the same page? Like, that's one of the things that you kind of go. And all of a sudden, anything that comes out of their mouth next, I will not hear. I will not hear anything that comes out of their mouth next. And we have, we found out, and this is kind of as a side note, everybody in the world has their own plan for how we should be single. For, and they all kind of want to fix us too. All of our married friends, don't they want to kind of fix you up? They think that singleness is this curse. There's something wrong and they want to help you get out of that state because somehow that place that you're in is not a good place. And that's what they think. And that's legitimately they're thinking, and they would never say that, like you're broken because you're single, but they kind of think that and the, they interact with you in such a way that you think, they think that I'm broken. They say, hey, you, you should treat this like a business plan. Figure it out. Get out there. Go meet people. Um, I actually, in my own singleness, I made this mistake with a friend of mine about eight years ago. She was 37 at the time, and I just kept saying, you just got to get out of the house, man. You just, you got to go meet people. You got to go places. I mean, you should at least go to this singles Bible study where you'll meet people. And I kept telling her every week, and she would be like, Annette, I just, I just want to go to my job, and I just want to go home. And I was like, okay, but I would bug her every week. And it drove me crazy. I was like, she's never going to get married. Me and my singleness, I'm saying this about my sweet single friend. She's never going to get married because she's just not getting out of the house. Well, eight years passed. She went on a blind date and she's now married at the age of 42. So clearly my advice, the way that I thought the reason that she should be married and the way that she should do life, the way that I thought that she should do this was not right for her. Okay, so what I want to say tonight is I just want to kind of echo what they were talking about last night in dating and that we're not going to give you the, hey, here's the top 10 things from God's word on how you should date. This is not a how to get a mate class. This is not a how you should fix your life class. This is a what do you do with your singleness and waiting and what does that look like? And especially just activating that place that you're in. How do you dwell fully in the space in which you abide? Um. Six years ago, six and a half years ago, I heard four words that completely changed my life and the trajectory of my life. I looked into the eyes of the man that I loved, and he said, we're done. And I said, I know. And just kind of was this moment of complete, wow. I was four weeks out from being married, and now all of a sudden, he's gone, like, He's out the door. Two weeks later, I have not talked to him since. You know, one of the, he got married nine months later. Praise the Lord. Um, there really is no bitterness. It sounds like it though. That's fun. <laughs> I need to talk to my accountability. Community group, take note. Um, and I'm saying all that to say, um, it started like any fun dating experience. It kind of started and I had gone to a family reunion. No, we're not related. I'd gone to a family reunion and had met this dark curly haired boy who just laughed at all my jokes and my usual awkward, nervous, kind of anxious self was like the cool vixen, cool, like look over my shoulder, wink, flare my hair back kind of girl. Um, I actually was the cool version of myself, which is very fun. We're usually not like that. And we quickly fell in love. And within seven months we got engaged and then 
Five months after engagement is when we kind of broke it off. And I was in this place, and I say this story to say all my hopes and dreams that I thought were going to happen were dashed in a moment. And I learned three things out of that experience throughout my life. And that kind of catalyzed part of this journey of what does singleness look like? Um, just for some of you, I, I, yeah. So, and one, it's, and you have it on the green card. And I just kind of wanted to head, and I wanted to give you this green thing just to say, hey, look, this gives you something to write on, and you can flip it over when Mandy teaches and, and do stuff on the back for her. And these are just three main points, and we're going to go all over the map here, and there's going to be tons of scripture, but I wanted to kind of go, hey, here's the three things that I learned from this. And number one, waiting is faith unleashed. Waiting is kicking butt and taking names. It's not sitting around and doing nothing. Trust is the root of sanctification. Distrust is, the root, is a root of sin. Singleness and community can be just as effective and world-changing. And I know this is going to blow some of your minds, but it can be just as effective, if not more so, and world-changing as the married woman or the married man. We are single to change the world. Um, so we're all waiting, married and single, old and young, fit and fat, hot and not. We are all waiting. We're all waiting for something right? We're all waiting for the light to turn green. We're waiting for to get that promotion. We're waiting for to find somebody to spend the rest of our lives with. We're waiting to get through today. What What does waiting look like? Everybody's waiting. The question is, what are you waiting for? And how are you waiting? And what does waiting look like? Like many of you came in here going, waiting. It seems like this the, the Sunday school girl who kind of has her arms folded in her lap. She's sitting on the porch swing with her little brother. They both are just sitting there kind of going back and forth, waiting for lemonade from grandmother. Real clean, tucked in, waiting to go to church. That's not the picture of waiting, and we're going to talk about that today. Romans 8 tells us that even creation waits on God. It's just this groaning that creation has for waiting for God. And just to kind of get to that place where um, we realize that our waiting, we're waiting for a full release from the grip of sin that plagues this fallen world. We're waiting, and we're lying at home in bed at night with this ache in our soul, thinking we're waiting for dreams to come true, thinking that we are just kind of in this space of going, when will that happen? When will it change my heart? When when will I get that dream job? When will this, this, and this, and this, and this happen? When will life be perfect? And really that ache is a waiting for the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3 says he's a place eternity in our hearts. We've all heard this. We just talked about it recently at the porch, if you're a porch goer. St. Augustine says, and you've heard this, I'm sure, but he says, our hearts are restless till we find ourselves in thee. So we're going to find ourselves stirred up and in a place of consistent restlessness and waiting, kind of this anxiousness until we find rest in the Lord. We're waiting because we are not home yet. Recognize that your waiting is not for this life, but your waiting is for God. Scripture says waiting is good for us. David, the man after God's own heart, talks about waiting 27 times in the Psalms. He at least says, talks about waiting. In Psalm 40, verse 1, I wait upon the Lord. We've all heard, or a lot of us have heard the U2 song. Um, but it's Lamentation that probably gives us one of the best pictures of waiting in Scripture. If you look at Lamentations 3, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to change to Lamentations 3, verses 24 to 27. It's one of my favorite passages, and in the middle of just like, Okay, you know that you're depressed when you're reading Lamentations. Okay, let me just throw that out there. It might be a signal that you need to talk to your accountability, all right? Um, and I would sit for hours after my broken engagement in Lamentations. Praise the Lord. Lamentations and Job, they were my best friends. Um, and Lamentations 3, it's just such a passage of hope. I wrote so many songs out of this, threw them all away because they were really sad and made me cry. But here we are. 
The Lord is my portion, in verse 24, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Just as we look at that, the word wait here is the same word for wait as in the Psalms, as in that Psalms 40, 40 verse 1. It's kavah, and it literally means turning. It's a writhing. It's just like spinning in place feeling. And the pictures that I get when I think about it are a woman during pregnancy, you know, she's waiting for nine months, right? That's not an easy kind of waiting. It's not a the Sunday school girl on the front porch swing, real clean, tucked in, waiting for grandma lemonade, go to church kind of girl, okay? It's not just picture perfect. It's a painful, things have to happen. She she has to consistently get up and go, you know what, I'm going to eat something that's good for my body. I'm going to, I'm going to actually go to my work today. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to deal with this thing, this, this alien that's dwelling within me more so every day, waiting for it to happen. It also is, has anybody seen Lord of the Rings? Are y'all Lord of the Rings fans? Am I the only nerd? Oh, I got a loud yes. Praise the Lord. Um, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Love that. So I love Lord of the Rings. And there's this one scene, and perhaps our friend at our break can tell us which scene this is. There's a one scene there. Gandalf is like fighting, and he's kind of spinning around, and he's like cutting right and left, and he is knocking things, and he just keeps going around and around. But the only way for him to keep all these creatures at bay while he's holding them off, waiting for the other people to catch up, waiting for them to get free What's happening is he's waiting for them to run and get free, is that he's spinning around and knocking things out, but he's moving. He's not just sitting there politely. So at one point, we heard the word waiting, and we changed it into this really pansy, almost cowardly thing, where we just sit and we soak and we sour, as my dad would say. We just sit there, we let things happen to us, we allow things to happen to us, and we just, again, we just sit there. Waiting is the opposite of just sitting there. Waiting is actively stepping in and engaging where you are today. Um, If you don't learn it now, you'll simply have to learn it when you're married. Learn to wait well. It's a faith unleashed. Sometimes you sit still at a red light waiting for the green light, but most often there's a green or a yellow saying, hey, go with what you know until he says something different. So just to kind of be in that space of going, move. Don't sit still. Go with what you know to be true about the character of God and what he's saying in his word. Move. Don't sit still. If he says, it's kind of funny because I think um, our movement in the Christian walk is always based upon what are we hearing in the voice of the Lord. And sometimes he does say stop. But even when he says stop and rest, it's an act of seeking of him. We change our action to not moving forward, but really just to seeking him. So if we stay in that position of seeking God constantly, consistently, then all the rest of our movement will come out of that. So when he does say stop and rest, there's no change in our attitude or in our position in the Lord. But rather, we're just simply changing our focus into, or keeping our focus and remaining in seeking God. Um, sorry, I feel like... Sorry, I'm lost track of my notes. Okay, let's go back to Lamentations 3.25 again. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. And so I just want to talk about the word good here for a second. Scripture assimilates waiting and seeking God more so. It says the reward that we have while waiting and for waiting is for God's goodness. What we get for our waiting, like 
We wait, we get God's goodness. And the word goodness in Hebrew is actually the word taub. And if you look at it, it's kind of this, they talk about it a lot in Hebrew language. And it's this word that means, oh, good, pleasant, beautiful, excellent, lovely, delightful. Anything that you can imagine that's good, it may refer to practical, economic benefits, wisdom, aesthetic, sensual goodness, happiness, or preference. So really the word good here, the Lord is good is everything that you can imagine that you could ever want in your life is what God gives to those who wait for him. And some of you are saying, okay, okay, I hear that, Anetta. All right, I, I hear that, but do you see what I have in my hand? Like, I'm waiting, and what I have in my hand doesn't look like what you're describing right there. What you're describing right there is just like this amazing dream world. Um, and what God responds to that is, one, he gives us himself which we'll talk about that in just a second, about the frustration of delighting in the Lord, and he gives us himself. But then also that we're waiting because he does promise to give it to us, and it will happen one day. And it's not this, um, what's the word? Prosperity gospel thing where God gives us exactly what we want, exactly what we need, but it's that we have what we need right now is God's best for your life. And if you live in that space, believing that what you have in your hand today is God's best for your life, you'll know that that taub, that goodness, will be yours if you simply wait upon the Lord. Before my engagement, I shot along doing things pretty independent. I was um, doing life at a relatively steady stream of suitors. I um, had tons of things going on. Dreams were being actualized. Mountains I was traversing. I was this, I'm sure you can't imagine, this very energetic get life by the horns kind of person. Um, to say I was busy was an understatement. I live um, by the Dead Poet Society's motto, seize the day, suck the marrow out of life. But after this engagement, all of a sudden, life just didn't feel really worth living. Um, I had other dreams to pursue, but I didn't have the one dream that I wanted. I had all these good things. I had gotten into this master's program in Scotland, all this kind of fun stuff that I really had always wanted to do, studying under some amazing worship leaders. But then the one thing that I wanted was this man, and I didn't have that. And this seemed like rubbish to me compared to this one dream. And so depression set in. I wasn't living life. I was waiting in that sense of waiting where you're not doing anything. So it wasn't really waiting. I was just simply sitting in death. I was not pursuing life. After several months had gone by, um, I found out that I started to recover and realized I'd done the three worst things I could have done. And so just kind of, if you're sitting here going, man, I'm in that place where depression is set in my soul, and maybe these are some three things that if I could pass on, hey, if you're sitting there and you're going, I, I had a bad breakup and I'm waiting, and I, or I, I can't see the future coming and I'm waiting. These are three things that I go, hey, are these happening in your life? Because they are. These are massive red flags that you need to step in and talk to your community group about. And one was I isolated myself. I moved to a city full of folks who had no history with me. And I got into community with, with people who claimed Christ but were lukewarm in the way that they walked them out. Two, I set my heart to distrust God. And so I would manipulate situations and work to control relationships and make them happen. You all know how we do this. We're really good at it, you know. We can make things happen. We can control and make things happen. Um, and it was driven by this place of distrusting that God had my good. I wasn't allowing him to move because I was saying, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. You're not going to do it exactly the way that I want it so that I'm going to do that. I'm going to take care of that for you. And really it was 
me saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust the way that you're going to do this. You've already taken one thing from me, so I will not allow you to take this from me again. And then I position myself to waiting on my single status to kick out and my married status to kick in. Y'all know what I mean? Like when you're just sitting there and you're not doing anything and you're just waiting. Can I, I mean, I just want it to happen. Can it just happen? Like one day I'll get the relationship status changed on my Facebook page. One day um, just things will shift in my life. Um. I love the verse in Psalm 27, 13 to 14. And this is another verse that I just sat in. And it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness. There's that towel again. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. There's that word wait again. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. So here we go again. We get goodness for waiting. It's in the same passage. And I love how David talks about it because he says, he's like, I would have despaired. He didn't say I despaired. He said, I would have despaired, but I believed in the character of God. I believe that what God's word says about God is true. And so I would have allowed my heart and my emotions to go crazy and to spiral into this place of depression, to to spiral in this place of not believing and not trusting and walking in sin. But I believed in God's goodness. I believed in him. And because I believed in him, I took heart and I walked forward knowing that God has my best I think these verses make us have to decide two things. Do I believe that God is who he says he is, that he is able to, as scripture says, accomplish what concerns me? So do I believe that he is able on one hand? And do I believe that he is good? Do I believe that, oh, taste and see that he is good? Psalm 34, 8 says. So do I believe that God is able to accomplish what concerns me? Is he strong? Ephesians talks about how he's, he's able to do abundantly beyond more than we can ask or imagine. And do I believe that he's good? And willing to do that. And if, 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 if then you are, kind of go back to, to seminary, to, um, college. If then, if these two things are true about you, if you believe these two things, then the only thing it can lead to in your life is believing again that what you have in your hand today is God's best for your life. And so that's kind of a question for you. Do you believe and are you interacting with What you have today in your hand is God's best for your life. Do you believe that the job that you have, that you hate, that your boss drives you crazy, that that is God's best for your life today? Do you believe that your single status is God's best for your life today? Um, It's not good for man to be alone, Scripture says. And we were, um, we were created for relationship. Man was, woman was created for man. We're created for marriage. We're created for relationships. And um, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about how it's a gift upon our lives. But some of us in, in our society has slowly gone from this place where we're getting older and older in our singleness. And it may not necessarily be good as a whole. But for us individually, What does that look like for you? For me, it's God's best for me today. I'm able to do so much more as a single person than I am if I were to be married today. One day, perchance, I will be married, and then that will be God's best for me. But for today, this is God's best for me. Um, 
So this is where faith steps in. Faith is believing in the unseen, Hebrew says. And David, the most emotional man in the Bible, clearly shows us that motions are in right alignment when they're held in place by trusting God. I would have despaired unless I had believed. I, I mean, I know I feel like I've hammered a little bit about emotions, but I just want to share one more example of kind of a story of this place of believing in the middle of of, of everything else saying foreignness to you. Every other circumstance is saying something different. I'd gotten through another particularly difficult break, breakup. Sounds like a really sad, I promise I've had good relationships. Um, and I remember I was on staff at a church in Houston and every night I would like get woken up by the Lord. Have y'all had this? Like where God wakes you up at two or three in the morning. And a lot of times you really just want to turn back over and fall back asleep, right? Which a lot of times I did. Let's be honest. Um, but a lot of times I'd wake up and I just would be like, my heart would just be aching. Like, Lord, I just, I feel really heartbroken. Like, again, this dream was dashed and I just don't feel like you met me here. Like, I feel like you, you, you bait and switched me. You really did. Like, I thought that man was, was, was supposed to be for me. Like, you, you brought him along. You had him pursue me. You, 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 you. And then all of a sudden not, and I'm not blaming him because I, I get that it's, it's not good, right, great. But I'm blaming you because you let him in in the first place. Because at the root, it's all God, right? It really is. Like, I mean, legitimately are. So I just was taking my grievances and saying, hey, I'm mad a little bit. And I'm, I'm angry and I'm, I'm in pain in the middle of this. And so I would kneel in, in my um, living room. I would just kneel. And I, it's hilarious. We had this stained glass window. Y'all are going to think I'm really nerdy. I get it. It's cool. And it would have this shadow from the moon that would always go on our wall. And the shadow had this, like, it looked like Jesus kneeling and praying. It really did. I promise you. Kind of very like, uh, y'all heard about the Jesus face on the tortilla in Mexico not too long ago? Well, I had the shadow of Jesus on my wall. And it was happening right around the same time, so I thought, there's something wrong with me. But it happened every night, so I thought, surely Jesus is in this room. But more so than that, I would come to the Lord and just kneeling there on the floor and just say, okay, here's my need. Here's my need. And this doesn't just apply to singleness or... Um, this doesn't just apply, this applies to every single area of your life. When you come to God and you say, my circumstances do not look like what I thought they should look like. Life throws us curveballs. We don't get the dreams that we want. We don't get the jobs that we want. We don't get the, hey, God, I really want to change the world. How do I do that? And yet I don't see you doing anything with me. What am I worth living for? What am I supposed to do with my life? And so what God calls us to do is much like Jacob who went to the Lord and he walked away with a limp. Or like Paul talks about it, he had a thorn in the flesh. And so we are to go to the Lord and take our need and say, hey, here's my need. I'm aching here. I'm allowing Jesus to come in and meet me in the middle of this pain. Would you come meet me in the middle of this pain? And then God promises to either be with us in the middle of that or to walk with us with our limp. So you have the promise of God that if you bring him your pain, he will either meet you in the middle of your pain or he will walk away with you with your limp. It's rare that he totally heals us, isn't it? You'll notice that. It's rare that we walk away unchanged. It's rare, it's rare that we walk away. Um, I was talking to two really godly men in my life a couple months ago, and they both said the same thing. They... It was really funny. It just kind of mirrored back and back. I just had these conversations. They're both, um, one's in his 50s and one's in his 60s, and they're both just leaders. One's a pastor, one's a um, leader in a church. And they both said, hey, um, I said, you know, I, I, somehow it came up how their walk's going. And um, one said, they both said exactly the same thing. I'm just kind of frustrated right now. 
whoa, that's a lot of authenticity from a man that's a lot of years older than me. <laughs> um, what does that mean? And they said, well, I feel like I struggle with the same thing year after year after year after year after year. And it's just wearing on my soul. Like I always had the same thing that I struggle with. It's frustrating. I wish I could just get over it. Could I just not struggle with that anymore? And for some of us, that's what singleness is and that's what waiting is. If we don't learn how to wait well now, you're just going to have to learn how to wait well when you're married. If you don't learn this lesson now, you're just going to have to learn it later. But the same applies to just everything in our life. We, are, we all have a limp of some kind. We all have a thorn in our flesh of some kind. And it's learning and trusting that God has allowed that to happen and walking in that. Praying against it, sure, God, heal me. Lord Jesus, heal me from this. But at the same time, walking in that place of trusting him. Um, scripture, Psalm 37, it's one, or, or, yeah, it's one of my favorites. If y'all have been to Psalm 37, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to sit there for the rest of my time talking with you. Um, and it's verses three and four. Excuse me. Huh. Psalm 37. Starting in verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Again, there's that good. There's that trust. There's that good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And just verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also him and he will do it. Trust also in him and he will do it. There's some real strong action verbs here. And so I just wanted us to look at this and go, okay, look, if David, okay, we all, has everybody heard kind of the story of David? He's this guy who, when he's a youngin, like 16 years old, he gets called in from the sheep for basically the head priest of the day to go, okay, look, you're going to be the next king. So this guy calls him in and says, you're going to be the next king. I mean, this real surreal experience because he's got all these older brothers. And out of all the brothers, this little guy is chosen from the field. Everybody else is at home and they're like, oh man, call him in. And he gets called in and he gets chosen to be the next king. Okay, sweet, awesome. But then for decades of his life, none of that comes true. His life does not look like that. He's hiding in caves because the head king at that point of the land, the job that he's supposed to have, he's supposed to have this job. And the person who has his job is trying to kill him. So this man who's had dreams kind of not come true for decades and decades and decades and knows exactly what waiting is all about, looks at us and says to us, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him also and he will do it. And we see those, those verbs of, one, do good. What does doing good look like? Loving others well with that same tau, that same goodness that we see from God's lam- God in Lamentations. What does loving others well look like? Loving them in a way that meets their needs. So do good. Loving people around you. Even when it feels like nobody's loving you, Choosing instead to be selfless and self-sacrificing. B, dwell in the land. Be where you are, wholehearted. And um, we've all heard of those um, self-help kind of, you know, I've done Bikram yoga, and they talk about this a lot. Be fully there. Be fully present. And they're stealing some wisdom from the scriptures, really, is what they're doing. Be wholly, fully present where you are today. Are you fully present where you are? Or do you go into a party and all you see is the opposite sex? And that's all you talk to. You don't talk to the girl in the corner or the guy in the corner that needs to be talked to, that needs to be loved on. All you see is 
that's a potential person that I could date. Or you're just so caught up in work that all you do is stare at your phone all the time. And you may be somewhere with people where you can engage and love on them well, but you're not there. You're thinking about all the millions of things and that list that has to be crossed off in your head or where you want to go next. You're living in this dream world, this place that doesn't exist in reality, but in your head it's all the reality there is. God has given us a mission field, and that mission is not first and foremost find a mate. We control what we can control, which is loving others and being present. Let God control the rest. And let's be honest, we can't even really control that. <laughs> um, third slash C, whatever, you, whatever you've started in it. Cultivate faithfulness. Develop patterns of your faithfulness in your life right now. It's kind of funny because... Um, we can either be faithful where we are, like faithful or kind of the opposite almost. I think faithfulness has a lot to do with contentment. If we're faithful in our heart and we, it kind of helps us to develop contentment, faithfulness does. But we can all, we, so we can either feed contentment by developing our faithfulness or we can feed discontentment. For me personally, that, that, that has a lot of different faces. Um, feeding discontentment. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but if I watch too many, this is really cheesy and nerdy, and this is, um, unfortunately, we're being we're being recorded, so uh, this will go down in history, I suppose. If I watch too many romantic comedies, I'm telling you, like, I just start to live in a little bit of that dream world of, like, <sighs> when is he just going to see me in my pajamas and no makeup and just think I'm dreamy, you know? Um when is it going to happen for me? And like, I live a little bit in that space and it feeds this little seed of discontent in my heart. When I allow these things to go in my heart, you know, I can watch certain TV programs and it feeds discontentment. I can do certain things or be around certain people and it feeds discontent in my heart. And so it's learning what those things are that feed contentment in you. What is that? Feed on that, cultivate that. Bring that up almost like a flower instead of consistently putting poison on it by feeding discontentment. I can tell that I've been, um, it's kind of funny because I can tell when I've been uh, watching too many. I mean, I don't, I'm not like a hundred percent. I never have seen, you know, you've got mail is my favorite. Why is it? I don't know. It's really cheesy, but, um, I've, I've seen clearly, but I can tell that I've been watching too many romantic comedies or I have had too many conversations with girls making up imaginary relationships in my head when I start to do three things, there's kind of three levels that I can tell for myself personally. And when these things happen, then I go, okay, clearly I've been feeding the wrong thing in me. So the, the first one would be if I, um, this is just, this is just me personally. This is not how you're going to do, but I just recognize this in myself. And I'm saying this to so help you recognize this. I'll like start to eat everything in sight. Are y'all that way? I'm an emotional leader. I will eat everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm like, I'm hungry and I will not be filled. Because there's something in my soul that's saying that I'm just ill at rest. And then I start to make up imaginary relationships in my head with people. Like, oh, he, he, of course, he wanted, he wanted to sit next to me. Of course, he wants me to be the mother of his children. <laughs> I mean, that just totally makes sense, right? That correlates completely. And then my soul will just start to vibrate a little bit. You can just tell, like, my friends will be like, so maybe you need to spend some alone time with Jesus because clearly there's something going on with you. <laughs> and so when your friends start to notice, then you know that you have been feeding discontentment. Um, 
And then the last is delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. His desires are far beyond what our human imaginations can drum up. Trust that he goes big when he does the dreaming. Before time began, he placed that dream in your heart. That's his dream. That's not your dream. If you think for a second that that is your dream for your life, then you're mistaken. It's God's dream for your life. So allow him to bring about his dreams. He's really good about doing his business. He's really good. Occasionally he uses us in the middle of that. But he's phenomenal about bringing to pass what he has called to be. So I just want to leave us with this thought of trust that God is able. Trust that he's big and he's strong. Trust in the character of God that we see in scripture. And then on the other hand of that, Trust that God is good, that he has your best, that he wants the absolute best for your life, and that he's all about bringing his dreams to pass. And that as you trust those things, cultivate faithfulness, being fully present where you are. Change the world. You have more time, resources, capacity, focus than you will ever have in your entire life. Activate it. Step out today. Think of something that you have wanted to do for a long time, but you haven't done because you were waiting. Because that's not waiting. That's dying. Waiting is actively pursuing the things of God. Come and pray in the morning. Change it to Mandy. God, I love you so much. Just really grateful for your presence. Just pray that we would actively learn how to wait and that you just continue to teach our hearts as we listen to what Mandy has to share with us, God. And she shares from your word. We love you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, my name is Mandy Bagdanoff, but I've only been Mandy Bagdanoff for a little over seven years. So um, I was Mandy Files for a long time. Um, some of you guys know me um, and know none that I was Mandy Files for a long time. So uh, I got married at 41. I'm 48 years old. So um, uh, my status did change from single to married, and then uh, a year and a half later, um, married in mommy. So I'm, I'm an, I may be the oldest young mommy um, at Watermark. <clears throat> but you're not here to listen to me ramble on about Leonard and Hope. Um, you're here to listen about what the Lord did in my heart um, through my singleness. So um, buckle up. So here we go. I want to start, I, I, I want you guys, and, and Annetta did a great job with positioning where our hearts need to be as single, married, whoever, under the sovereignty of the Lord. And I want to read Isaiah 55, um, 8 through 11 to you. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Those are beautiful words, but those are hard words that the Lord purposed and is purposing singleness in your lives. Those are hard words to hear, especially with what we're waiting on, what we want to happen. And again, I want to read something clever I'm a Dr. Seuss fan. Yes, I do have a five-year-old. Um, but in this book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, there's a great there's a great summary on waiting. So let me read it to you real fast. You can get so confused that you'll start in a, into race down long, wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish, wild space. Headed, I fear toward a most useless place, again, this is the world talking, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow, everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for, for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night. I've waited for Friday night before. Or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. So that's really the worldly's perspective of waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And that's where I was. Um, even though I began kissing boys in second grade, Yes, I did. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I wished upon most, most stars for my Prince Charming to come. I found myself single and waiting for a good 20 years. And although I didn't grow up in a Christian home, God got a hold of my heart when I was a junior in high school. So certainly my waiting was informed by God and his truth. Or was it? As I journey back through those 20 years, I can see a drastic difference between the weight I waited during my years in college and early 20s, from my mid to late 20s to early 30s, and my mid to late 30s until my early 40s, and even a difference as I wait now um, as a married woman and a mommy. In my college and early 20s, I was waiting on my dreams to transpire. My life at this time was all about what I wanted, and I was trying to figure out, I was a believer at this time, and I was trying to figure out what God wanted. And I put an awful lot of pressure on those two things. But the Lord had gotten a hold of my heart, and I spent a lot of time teaching kids about Jesus, and I really, really enjoyed that. And so I was trying to reconcile these two things, for I'd always wanted to be a wife and a mommy, but I really enjoyed teaching kids about Jesus. So how do those two things go together? Well, I loved the praise that I got and the accolades I received from teaching kids about Jesus. 
So in trying to figure out my heart, I was always more drawn towards that youth ministry position and not married. Even though I really enjoyed dating, my priorities of ministry forged ahead um, of my priorities and relationships. And truly, during my college years and early 20s, I dated two terrific godly men that even today I look back and I was like, I probably could have married either one of those guys and been really, really content in the Lord and, and see those because I know actually where both of them are and they're both following Jesus and, and, and it's, it's a sweet thing. Um, but right before one of them proposed to me, I didn't date him at the same time. I dated him at separate times. And right before one of them proposed to me, I had accepted a youth position and um, felt like that's really where God was calling me. So guess what my answer to that proposal was? And guess who didn't wait for my youth bug to get out of my system? So those were my early 20s, more focused on me and what I wanted and what I was waiting on. As I grew spiritually, so did my desire to become a wife and and a mother. And again, that whole teaching kids about Jesus... um, kind of rose to the surface, and I really wanted to teach my own kids about Jesus. And so as I entered my late 20s and early 30s, my focus became the goal. So the goal of getting married was what I was trying to achieve. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. So I consistently found myself in emotional relationships with men out of a desire to have that relationship become potentially more. And I use a term that's called emotional promiscuity with that. And actually, several years ago, I'm going to take a step away from my testimony and and talk a little bit about this. A couple years ago, Cynthia Culver, um, who's currently on staff here and is... um, a, a great and godly gal who's single and, and living that singleness life very well. Um, she and I spoke on this topic. It's called Sex in the City. And I actually talked to Cynthia last night, and she said that that piece, the piece that I talked about, emotional promiscuity, was not recorded. But if you listen to the whole thing, you may get, um, and I don't even know if you can find it, at Bug West Butler. Um, he used to be the young adult pastor at that time when we did that. So, again, when you are overconnected, with a man or a female, because I had several guys at this talk and they came up to me and they told me, I get what you're talking about. I have been in that position with a gal and I've allowed her to connect with me more than is healthy. And so I use a term called emotional promiscuity. It's getting what you need on an emotional level without the commitment. Getting what you need on an emotional level without a commitment. And it goes both ways, I believe. I believe men can be in this position, and I believe women can be in this position. Okay? So what my encouragement in a situation like that is, now it's a little different if you're in a committed dating relationship. But if you're in um, a, a new dating relationship, or if you're in friendships with the opposite sex, guard your heart. Guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. Because it's easy for us because, again, what our focus is, what our desire is that's out in front of us, our heart can easily go there, can easily go there. Now, the hard thing, you may be saying to yourself, well, Mandy, then how do I meet people? 
of the opposite sex, if I can't have a relationship with them, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Okay? So in this situation, um, with waiting and emotional promiscuity and the unhealthy connectedness, my encouragement is to get in great community with women and or men and to share those emotional needs there. Um and, and again, um, part of God's story, um, of his story of grace in me, is that I spent a good 10 years from my late 20s into my mid-30s, so like 27 to 37-ish, off and on seven different times with the same guy in a, th- in a three-month cycle of he'd pursue me, ask me out, we'd get overconnected, and then he'd go the opposite direction. Um, not pretty at all and not good. You'd think that after three three times you'd go, hey, I think you might need to get the picture on this one, but I didn't. You know, I mean, I wanted that so bad. Again, putting the focus of my waiting on my wanting. Okay? The focus on my waiting on my wanting. So, again, but we were really interested in each other, so that was what was hard about this situation. So I got some biblical community, um, and I told him that we could no longer be friends. So, And that was really difficult for me. This, he's a, he's a, just a neat, neat, neat man, still single, shocker, um, but really heartbreaking for me to, to know that I hurt someone in that way. Um, so during my le- mid to late 30s, God was doing a new work in my life. I had graduated with my master's degree and was really allowing the Lord and his truth to invade my heart. I had a solid group of women who surrounded me and encouraged me in my relationship with the Lord. I was so thankful. At this time, the Lord changed my heart to have more of a biblical view of waiting. And rather than a self-centered, is what I'd call that one in my early 20s, a self-centered, self-serving view, and then the goal-focused view, again, that goal of wanting in my waiting, that goal-focused view from my late 20s to mid-30s, to to hopefully a biblical view in my mid to late 30s and early 40s. What I want us to do is I want us first to turn to Romans 8. And you're going to see me use a couple of different versions um, which is so non whatever for a teacher to do but i like the i i like the nlt the way the nlt says this so let's turn to romans 8 and i'm going to read this out of the nlt because i like the wording of it and i'm going to start at verse 18 okay so romans 8 starting at verse 18 yeah, and again, I love that Annetta and I, we had, we had no idea. We really haven't conferred on what we talked about, but she talked about how the creation suffers in, in waiting uh, for redemption um, in the future glory when, when um, God comes back. And so we're going to talk about that, but we're gonna, I'm taking a little bit of a shift from what she talked about. So let's listen. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 
For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us all, give us our full rights as his children, including new bodies as he has promised us. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. So as I entered my mid-30s, what scripture do you think I wrote on the inside of my Bible? Anybody? What one? That one. What one specifically? The last one. The last one. Why do you think I wrote that on my in the, on the inside of my Bible? <laughs> what is it? What is what does verse twenty five tell us? What does verse twenty five tell us? Yep. We're looking forward to something we don't have. <clears throat> Again, this passage, you're, you're, they're looking forward to, to glory and the, and the creation to be um, put back together without sin, pain, and suffering. But what, what, what would help us in our waiting from this passage? What? The Holy Spirit? What are those last two words in verse 25? Patiently and patiently and confidently. Those are great words. Those are great, great words. Wouldn't you guys? And 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 for for me, um, and this text. You know, I don't I don't want pain and suffering in my life, but just as this text talks about, and, and I think we have to be honest with ourselves in singleness and in marriage, there's a mixture in there. There's a mixture of suffering. There's a mixture of pain. There's a mixture of joy and contentment and everything else, but there's a mixture and that's, and, and, and that's purposefully done. I mean, get your heads around this. It's purposefully done to draw us near to the Lord in dependence on him. It's purposefully done to draw us near to him. But, but really, this is how God planned it all along. But I want to tell you that the percentages are high, and so I don't want to get your hopes up that that confidence, you know, of what, I mean, we all know from Scripture that we are going to be redeemed. We're redeemed here, but we're also redeemed. And just like he says about the pain and suffering and about the, the new bodies. And I don't want to get your hopes up by saying this, but I also want you to know that the percentages are high that you guys will marry at least once. They're high. They're very high. 80 to 90%. That's high. But I also... um want you to know that just as just as Annetta said that we want our waiting to be placed to be focused on the right thing 
when our when our waiting gets focused on something that changes our lives become a roller coaster and the the changing from singleness to dating from dating to engagement from engagements to marriage to marriage to parenthood to parenthood to parenthood to parenthood, to parenthood um our lives become a roller coaster if we focus on that life change, whether it be a job, whether it be friendships, whether it be a church, whether it be a car. You know, it becomes, if our focus is that change, our lives become roller coaster. Our focus has to be on something that doesn't change. And we know that that is the Lord. And if we allow ourselves to wait patiently and confidently, then that builds the character and the character builds the hope. So again, in in waiting on singleness, in waiting in the wanting, if your focus is that, there's a lot of grief that could happen, a lot of disappointment, a lot of discontentment, a lot of grief. Well, do you want your lives, your character, your what people say about you, your legacy to be said grief upon grief? Well, there's that Mandy Files, Mandy Bagdanoff again. All that can be said about her is what she didn't get and what she wanted, and she didn't get it. Poor Mandy. Or do you want your life, people, what people say about you, your legacy to be hope? Hope upon hope. Hope upon hope. And that's what I see when I look at Romans 8 and I see, again, future glory. What we're going to get, the future. And, and so, I, and, and Annette talked so well. I mean, faith unleashed is waiting. Can we step aside of ourselves and our desires and, and what we want and step aside and go over here and talk about our faith and releasing that faith so it's based in hope, in confident hope, in patience hope, in patient hope, so that our legacy is hope upon hope rather than grief upon grief. I mean, sign me up for hope. I know my daughter's name is Hope. Every all y'all are like, oh, brother. Um, so, so that's I, I mean, for me, and I, you know, I look at those twenty years that the Lord blessed me with, and um, my prayer is that people did see that. I know I felt that way. I know there were times, and I don't want to be unrealistic. That there are times. Let me tell you. I mean, I could be described as. Bitter and negative, and I'm taking my toys and going home because I don't want a part of that anymore. I'm done, Lord. Done, done. Check it. Done. But also, I, I mean, I, I my prayer is that that time was really spent well. You know, because again, I I, I want to tell you guys that it's, you know, 80 to 90%, you guys are going to marry once. Don't waste your singleness. Okay. So. I know some some kind of descriptor in this class, there's some kind of social piece of it. So I did want <clears throat> to pull some figures out for you guys, not to discourage you, but I do want to be in risk because I've been, Leonard and I dated for two years before we got married, and so there's almost a 10-year span there 
So, and I know things have changed a lot in 10 years, and I don't want to be unrealistic that they haven't. Okay? Because I pulled some numbers, and 28% of households in America consist of one person. 28% of households. It kind of gives me chills because it bums me out that, you know, that happens. Because even if, if, I don't know, anyway, that's another topic for another day. One person in 1960, guess what that number was? Really low. Really low. I think it's, I can't see it. I think it's 11%. So I think it's right around, it's, 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 it's more than doubled since 1960. Okay. So again, you think about that 28% of people are living by themselves. They're a single household. That's, that's wow. That's one of those factors and prayerfully those people, you know, as you all would say, hopefully, you know, I'm living alone, but I have great community, you know, here. But one of those factors to me, um, and, and I can live this. So, so we have been married in those last 10 years. Um, I look at that and I think, okay, so what has that done? We were, and my, my husband loves this, we're, we were dinks. So double income families. And your income now is huge compared, compared to what mine was when I was, in, in your age bracket. So what you're making now is probably what Leonard and I maybe made 10 years ago together. Um, so income is huge. Do you know that single people spend, this is outrageous, $1.9 trillion economically annually. Is that outrageous? $1.9 trillion? We could get rid of the debt or put a good punch in it. That's out of control. So again, you've got time as expendable as singles, and you've got money as expendable as singles. Y'all have got trinkets, tricks and trinkets. I see them all over the place. Everybody's got their, you know, their iPads, iPods, phones, nice, putting hers up and back. I mean, it's really my daughter, who is five and a half, can probably work my iPhone better than I can. No lie. No lie. And, and again, I didn't grow up with that. A lot of you guys did grow up with all that stuff, and it's continuing to move forward. We are on the brink, and, and Annette had talked about it earlier, we are on the brink of isolation. We are on the brink of isolation. So your singleness, waiting in singleness, is going to be continually harder. So what you need to remember is intentionality. Intentionality is a huge word for your generation. You've got to be intentional. Now, the Lord miraculously, I mean, not, as Annette talked about the gal that, you know, you gave a great example of that. Um, you know, and I think there's the, there are those people out there. Um, but I want to encourage you with intentionality. And I also want to encourage you to remember that God is in control, even of the tricks and trinkets. And I know how difficult it is when your heart aches. 
But whether you're involved, and we're not going to talk about eHarmony today, but whether you're involved in eHarmony or eWatermark, for that matter, I did say that, didn't I? I thought that was kind of funny. Um, we have to allow God to be in control. And so what I want you guys to do now is I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. I love, love, love the book of Ruth. 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 Hello. So you got Joshua, you got Judges, and you got Ruth. That's where it is. Old Testament. And I want to talk about three things. So turn your green sheet over that um, Annetta gave you. And um, see, this is what I love. Where's Mindy? I met Mindy earlier today. She's got her Bible on her iPhone. And I see people. I know. How many people, how many people are just looking at their Bibles on their iPhones? Look at that. That's it's a good portion. Or, excuse me, what is it? Uh, that, sorry, sorry. My husband, my husband has, um, what's that other one? The f- other phone? No, older. Older. Blackberry, Blackberry, Blackberry. Where is it? We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> the 7-Eleven phones. I love it. I love it. Oh, okay. Where, where, where's my, uh, um, what, what'd you have again? Droid. Okay. Read, read, uh, uh, Ruth one off of the droid for me. <laughs> All of it. First chapter. I, I go by chapters. You're doing great. You're doing great. I love this. Said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am 
are going to have any more sons who come be, who could become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried to them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Her daughter-in-law arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Mm. Thank you, sirs. Thank you both. Okay, I want you to write three things. We are all about the three this morning. Three things on the back of that <clears throat> about waiting. Okay. I want you to write, God needs to be my security. Security in big words. God needs to be my security. God needs to determine my significance. Significance, big word. So you've got security. God needs to be my security. God needs to determine my significance. Big word. And God can give me the strength. Big word. Okay? So you've got Security, significance, and strength. Three big words that we're going to pull out of Ruth 1. Okay? And really those three big words are throughout Ruth. It's a phenomenal book. It's a phenomenal book because what it marries is confident waiting with suffering. Confident waiting with suffering. And I'm going to shamelessly plug this book. It's called Shattered Dreams. Does that describe anybody here? Shattered Dreams. Larry Crab, or Crab Cakes as I fondly like to call him, um, wrote this book, and it combines Ruth and suffering. Okay? It's a great book. And don't get caught up in the suffering because the, the um, by, what's, the, what's the title underneath the title called? Subtitle. Thank you, subtitle. Thank you. Shattered Dreams, and the subtitle is God's Unexpected Pathway to Joy. Okay, it's a great book, a great book. I would encourage you all to go through it with your community. It's a phenomenal book. Okay, so let's do this. Let's pull these three big words, security, significance, and strength, out of Ruth 1. So again, there are loads of folks in the Bible that demonstrate those three characteristics. Loads of folks in the Bible. But one of the reasons I picked 
Ruth was because I, I do feel like it marries that suffering piece really, really well. Because let's be honest. I mean, did you all just go, <gasps> you know, in the first five verses, three deaths and a famine. I mean, what on earth? Let's set myself up for some suffering. There you go. So three deaths. Well, a famine happens first. They move and then three deaths on top of that. You're like, <gasps> yuck. Who wants to go through that? And then, you know, before the last two deaths of, of Naomi's sons, Ruth, who's a Moabite, um, marries one of her sons. So this is what we know about Ruth from this first, these first couple of ver- verses. Because she's a Moabite, she's not an Israelite. She doesn't know the one true God. So we know in our minds, that's observation, we know in our minds, because she's a Moabite, she doesn't know God. But she gets married into this family that's that, that's an Israelite family, so they do know God. Okay, so she's marrying someone that knows God. Um, and then but let's look at verse 6. Okay, verse 6 says... It's talking about Naomi. So, again, the setting is Naomi, who's the mom, and her husband, Elimelech, leave Bethlehem, Judah, to go down to find food. They have their sons. They get married. But he dies. Elimelech dies first. Then the marrying happens. And then the two sons die. She's left with nothing in a foreign land. She's broken and empty. And so here she goes in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab that she heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Okay, so that's the reason why she's there. So she departed from this place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So Naomi gathers her what she has left, which is her two daughters-in-laws, which are, aren't, remember, they don't know the one true God. Supposedly, they're Moabites, but they've had 10-year marriages. So through that time, you'll see in this story what has happened with their faith. <clears throat> but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go and return each of you to your mother, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with with the dead, and with me. So somehow in the transition, in the journeying, Naomi kind of goes, wait, I can't ask these girls to go home with me. I I don't have a husband. I don't have any more men for these women to marry, which as you guys, some of you guys know, but it's traditional custom that you marry within the family. I don't have any one of those things. I don't have anything to give them. I'm empty. I'm broken. I need to send them back to where they came from, to where there's fullness, to where there's an opportunity for them to marry again and to have children. And again, we don't see children here at all. Um, so there's there's no there's no offering. But but what I love about this is you'll look at this picture that Naomi loves them so much that she's willing to let them go. And so many times in our emptiness and our brokenness and our just neediness, if you will, we kind of grab at anything. And I love this picture of Naomi. Her hands are open. She's willing to let all she has 
which are these two sweet daughter-in-laws, she's willing to let them go. But what's interesting in here is you think about what the world says, what security should look like. That's what it should look like. Go, go back and be secure. Go back where the opportunities are to be married and, and, and truly, I mean, she's going back to her own mother's home. I mean, she's only been with Naomi for 10 years, and they're really not blood-related. So go back to your own family. Go back where there's opportunity to get connected. Um, but what, again, is lovely about this is that you see Ruth, who exemplifies such a godly security. So clearly in these 10 years that Ruth has been with Naomi and this family, she has learned something about faith. Because look at what verse 16 says. Ruth said, Do not argue me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And what I want for you guys to think about, I mean, that's such a beautiful thing in a 10-year transition. So as Naomi describes what it looks like for these gals, look at verse 15, one verse above it, it says, then she said, behold, your sister-in-law, she's describing Orpha, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her God's. That's the contrast between Moabites and Israelites. Israelites, the one true God. Moabites, many gods. Go back to what you know. Go back to what you know. And that really cultivates in us. When we go back to what we know and focus on what we've known, it cultivates some sort of security, doesn't it? It cultivates some sort of security. And I'm going to argue with you that's a worldly security when you when you return when you're in the midst of a trial and you return to something you have known you're returning for your own comfort for a worldly security rather than stepping out in faith and again 10 years i'm guessing just from the text and from what again the rest of Ruth says that Naomi has taught her sweet daughter-in-laws about God and and probably their husbands as well you know so it's really a sweet text you see the faith grow of Ruth to be willing to take that step and said no I am with you my security has been changed my security and my identity I look at identity I look at love and I kind of block all them in together under this security my identity has been changed from a Moabite to following the one true God it's a beautiful thing in these transitional verses in 15 and 16 she is declaring and confessing I want to follow the one true God. Her security is not in getting married. There's no hope. I mean, please, I don't know how old Naomi is, but she's she's telling her, the writing's on the wall, sister, I'm probably not going to get married again, nor would you wait. And that's going to come to our next thing with significance. Significance is the quality of being important and having purpose. 
When I think of significance, I think of being important. I think of having purpose. It's out in front of me. I'm going for it. And and again, <laughs> I want to just tell you that this is a sad chapter. The significance of this chapter is if you stop after verse 5, that is dismal. That is sad. Um, however, in the midst of this suffering, of this grief, you see a beautiful picture of relationship that is developed. Again, it's not focused on a husband and wife relationship. He's dead. It's not focused on a mother and a child relationship. She's barren. She, there's no children in this chapter. It's focused on a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And what I want to tell you in this is that I'm going to step away from the text and talk a little bit testimonial to you guys again. There are relationships out there that are sweet and sovereign. And I want you guys to go home from today and I want you to recount who it's obvious that God has brought into your path that has been a sweet affirmation to you. I did not grow up in a Christian home. My parents were divorced. My father was an alcoholic. You can read all that on the Regeneration website. I'm on there several times. It could have been a sad story if you stopped at verse 5 just like this. But God did not. He got a hold of my heart when I was a junior in high school and placed several older women in my life to help love me and draw me to the Lord. I would like to say that I use this term reparent. I kind of grew up in a fairly chaotic home with a not a lot of emotional connection. But the Lord through a lot of different, um, first of all, for through his word, but a lot of different people and a lot of different ministry. Um, I actually was on staff at this church for eight years. Um, a lot of different relationships. He has worked to reparent me. So I look at those sweet relationships with people and I count it a blessing as Naomi and Ruth counted each other as a blessing. Because after, after Naomi saw that Ruth said this, she stopped trying to get her to change her mind. And look at, look at verse 17, if you will. It even goes on further. It says, where you die, I will die. This is Ruth talking about Naomi. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth was all about Naomi. Can you imagine a relationship like that? She'd only known her from 10 years and she's from a different country. Ruth is getting ready to follow Naomi into a different country. But her purpose and her focus and her significance was razor sharp. She didn't care. She didn't care. She was all about loving Naomi. And what is beautiful in this, you know that Naomi has had to be grief-stricken. And it says it in the later verses in this first chapter. She changes. She doesn't want to be called Naomi. She wants to be called Mara, which means bitter. 
I am bitter. She's going back to her country. She's going back empty and broken. She's going back empty and broken. So the emotional strength, that's my last big word, emotional strength in this first chapter is tremendous among these two ladies. It's tremendous. You've got a one who is empty and broken. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. One of her daughter-in-laws goes back to her old country. She is going back empty and broken. She's devastated, but her strength to pick it up and go back is beautiful. And then Ruth, her emotional strength in this situation to walk beside her mother-in-law, to walk beside her mother-in-law because her mother-in-law knows the one true God is a beautiful display of emotional strength. Ruth is letting go of everything she had. She's already let go of her husband. Now she's letting go of her country. She she didn't allow, again, the world's view of comfort and security to deter her from making a strong emotional decision. And that's what, when I look at strength in this situation, I see it as emotional strength. I see it as emotional strength. I see a woman who is letting go of everything that she has had. It reminds me a little bit of Abraham when he let everything go to go to the promised land. So the emotional strength that you see in Abraham, the emotional strength that you see in Ruth are a beautiful thing. And and so for us, where do we go when we have been devastated, when we are broken and empty? Is your focus, your suffering, Or is your focus the one true God? Because look, Naomi was returning to her country. Judah, they know God, the one true God. And so the first chapter, again, is just to me a beautiful picture. I want to go back to Romans 8 of patient and confident waiting on the Lord. Ruth had no idea what was going to happen in her life. And, you know, if you guys know the story of Ruth... Guess what? She does get married, and she's in the line of Jesus. So it's a beautiful ending. But she didn't know that. Naomi told her that, you know what? I, I'm not going to get married, and you're not going to, even if I do get married, you're not going to wait. If I have a son now, who knows how old she is, you're not going to wait and be married to someone, you know, who's 30 years you're younger. But in the face of what the world says is comfort, is security, is significance, we see these women making wonderful decisions based on emotional strength. And that's where I really want to encourage you guys. And men too. You know, I, I it's hard because Ruth it does look like such a, you know, female woman book. But I, I don't think it's any easier for men in this situation. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to have a panel with some men on it. So I don't want you guys to leave after we... Um, have a break because I do think there's going to be some some things talked about. What I'd love for you guys to do now is I'd love for you guys to take a second to write down any questions you have about singleness, anything that um, Annette or I talked about, and I'd love you to write those on this three by five card. Uh, 
Um, so we have some of my sweet dear friends here um, that I have known for some of them the space of two minutes and some of them the space of six years. So, um, which Mo is the longest. It's kind of fun. Um, so I'm going to let them kind of just share for just a minute, just so you know who they are, kind of who they are, where they're from, and maybe their their first reaction to uh, either being asked to be on this panel or to our talk. So go for it, guys, Mo, and uh, don't forget your mic. I don't think it's working. Yeah. It is working? Yeah. Oh, great. It's just light. Well, my name is Mo. I've been um, at Watermark for, I guess, I don't know. 12 years now. Um, right. So it's been a lot of fun. I guess we've known each other only six years or longer? Uh, six or seven years I've been at Watermark, so he's known me longer than that. I have known Mandy longer. I actually photographed Mandy's wedding. It was awesome. Really fun. Aww. Everybody in chorus. Aww. <laughs> how, many people were, how many people were at our wedding, Mo? Five of us? <laughs> six of us? We kind of eloped. Kind of. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. People were doing drive-bys, though, to see the wedding, actually. They they got married in a courtyard in Holland Park, um, so it was pretty great. Uh, Annette asked me, and I was I was flattered to be asked, and uh, and honestly, I, I, I told her I'd get back to her in a day. <laughs> I prayed about it to see if I would say yes or not, and I was like, why wouldn't I? So I'm um, honored to be here and, and to be a sounding board for you guys and, and look forward to learning from you guys as well. Uh, I'm Tim. Annetta asked me this week to be on the panel, and I was like, yeah, sure, maybe, probably, I don't, yeah, I will, no, I actually, uh, and then I said, I'll get back to you, to you tomorrow. And, well, what is this? And I was like. I mean, do y'all see a pattern here? <laughs> and I was like, you, you yeah. want me to be on a panel to do what? Women. And she was like, I just need you to sit there and answer questions, and I was like, I'll try, but I can't, can't promise anything magical, but just what God says, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm Betsy, and um, I've been working, I guess, at Watermark for two months, and um, have known Annetta those two months, and she actually asked me to be on the panel uh, two nights ago, and I immediately said yes. I didn't think or pray about it, but um, <laughs> she called me when I was exhausted lying on the couch and <laughs> called me, and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. That's great. <laughs> what time do I have to show up? So, um, but I'm here, and I'm really excited just to be a part of this. All right. And y'all know me. And this is Mandy. Um, and so we're going to start with, uh, oh, this is a great one. Could you speak a little more about, we're going to let Mandy start while the others kind of sit. Could you speak a little more about the selfish waiting you felt lived out in your 20s and how you feel you could have better reconciled your education career goals with your desire for marriage and God's plan for your life? Mm -hmm. And that and that is a great question, I think. So why don't you say it one more time and say it loudly so everybody yep. kind of gets on the same yep. page on, on what it is. Could you speak a little more about the selfish waiting you felt you lived out in your 20s and how you feel you could have better reconciled your education and your career goals with your desire for marriage and God's plan for your life? And I kind of want, um, if you all have something to speak right. in here too, I think Mo probably for sure. So that, That's good. So one of the things I think that for all of us, as we're either trained and or impassioned to do something. Um, and, I, and I think you go back to Genesis 1, and you know that God has equipped us um, to do something. Um, and I think the heart for me in that is that I had to be so careful because I 
had a lot of pride in how I was gifted. And so what you have to be careful when you're seeking the Lord in those next steps of whether it be an occupation and or a relationship, that your pride does not go before God. And I and I say that very humbly because I, I think that for all of us, whether you are a male or a female, we can get caught up in there may be something better. There may be something different. Am I sure this is what it is? Which can cause us to get stuck. And and when you spiral around in a circle and or stuck and don't move forward, then you are in fear. And and out of anything in the Bible, God talks about do not fear. We've got to learn how to trust. And sometimes trusting is making mistakes, and that's okay. I mean, we learn by making mistakes. And God's going to shut doors faithfully for you. And I look back to my story, and I look at doors shut. And in fact, we're, and I'll tell you a little bit about what our story is right now. We have one child, and we would love to adopt. Litter and I would love to adopt. God has shut that door on adoption for almost four years now, which you think, why wouldn't we adopt? I mean, why couldn't we adopt? Why shouldn't we adopt? But God has said no, which is hard. When God says no, it's very, very difficult to, um, I think for us especially, to really reconcile why. But really the why is one of those things where you just go, it's just a why. We can ask him when we get to heaven, I guess, you know, get to see him face to face. But for us, we have to pay attention as believers. We pay attention to those shut doors because they help direct us. Okay? So don't, you don't shut that door. You let God shut that door. Does that make sense? So. That's great. Mo, do you have anything you want to add to that? Sure. I would say, um, for me, early on in my 20s, my identity was totally wrapped up in my career and what I thought I could do on my own. Um, and the Lord quickly um, kind of took that away, and so I had to rest in Him. And uh, and so I can relate a little bit to what Mandy was talking about, just the re- regards to fear of failure mm-hmm. and even a fear of success. Oh, my gosh, if I succeed, then... And this might be a struggle that some of the guys in the room have of, man, if I succeed, i got to keep this up, else somehow my identity is now not um, in, in the Lord. And so um, now being in my 30s and looking at, um, you know, career stuff, and actually I'm working on memorizing this first. It's First Peter 4.10. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And just asking the Lord again, even this week, of, hey, am I doing all that I can do to serve you with, with what you've given me? Um, and... Uh, that's one of the questions I wrestled with, and the answer was no. <laughs> and so having to reconcile that and go, okay, Lord, let me, again, as Mandy just said, let me walk by faith and, and not by sight and what I think I can achieve or what I can do on my own power, but what would you have me do? And I'd point you back to Moses, you know, when he was out in the desert for 40 years. I mean, he thought he had it all together, mm-hmm. and when he was ready to leave, God was like, no, I'm going to yep. put you in the desert. Right. And then he came back, and he's going, what are you going to do with me now? You know, and so I don't, I don't know if some of you guys can relate with that or not. Um, going, well, I'm, I'm not 22 anymore. Uh, and some of you guys might be 22 and going, hey, take the world by storm for, for the Lord. 
But if you're not going, hey, it's never too late. God has God's got great things for all of us. And so I'm kind of in the middle of that myself, figuring out, all right, I'm a little bit older now. What would you have me do with the gifts that I've been given? That's so good. Um, just to, because my three panelists, as humble as they are, they all kind of discredited themselves as they gave their little bios. Let me just say for a second that Mo's one of the most godly men that I know, and that he just has this phenomenal way of looking at life and doing life and embracing life. Um, he's so good about, call, I mean, he's called me out without me feeling like he's calling me out on stuff about a million and one times. Um, but he's just really loving and kind in the way that he does that and so good at loving other people and has a heart for evangelism. And so I, we invited him today just simply because he loves God and he does life really, really well. And I think anybody who hears something from him would um, grow more like Christ. We invited Tim just because he um, he's fantastic in like really delving into his community, has really missional-minded, has very much so kind of um, sees his workplace. I, I don't even know that he would like mentally say he's cognizant of this, but he sees his workplace as a mission field and brings people to Jesus. He's very much so like a Thomas, like just consistently, or Andrew brings his friends to Jesus, brings his friends to Jesus, and so good about doing that. And then in the way that he interacts with girls, he's really good about not defrauding their emotions in his friendships. And so just felt like he's a great example of a guy who's godly, who um, is in the middle of his singleness and waiting and um, does it well. And then Betsy is one of our fellow residents and um, have just heard her heart consistently across the board and has just, like so many of us, walked really well, really wisely and has a wisdom beyond her years. So just kind of, just so that y'all can see that the people that we have up here, they're um, they're kind of saying, hey, I'm just here because I just said Annette, yes to Annette, but they're really here because Mandy and I just really prayed that we would have the right people here to answer the right questions for y'all to get to hear. And um, our, we don't have all the answers, but then we're all better together. Um, so I wanted to ask another question. When do you know if um, this was one that we had kind of gotten, how do you know if dating has become an idol? So this is maybe something that um, maybe dating or marriage or something. How do you know if like that's an idol in your life? One of the two that haven't spoken like to speak. Oh, she's got a viral. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I mean, and if we look at what an idol is or it's anything that takes your focus off the Lord. And so, I mean, it can be anything and it can creep in quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and dating can easily become an idol with there being a person or not being a person there. Um, I think as girls, we tend to fluctuate from side to side. And this is purely just speaking from a girl, um, either of it captivating our thoughts and we yearn for it so much we don't think of anything else or becoming bitter or cynical and saying, I don't care when really we do. Um, but really just living in that and, um, you know, sometimes it will like wake up and feel lonely and then that's okay and grieving in that, but then till still taking on that day and pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly and, um, just living in our calling, which is to be a disciple of Christ. And so, um, we were actually thinking about some bye, verses of, um, really what our purpose is. And so, um, and just going on with making this an idol and then what should our life look like and what our thoughts should look like in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so, so many times these idols happen because we want to take control and we want to make things happen in our own timing and in our own way. Um, when truly the Lord is above 
um, all of our thoughts and everything and, and knows it before we even have even fathomed it. And so um, just remembering that because um, it is hard and it's easy to make that an idol really quickly, but just remembering that the Lord knows it um, before we've even thought of it. Hmm. Do you have anything to add? Uh, I think that I've found in my own experience like that dating can be an idol when you have when you are dating when you aren't dating either we're desiring to have dates and go on dates and have this girlfriend or this boyfriend and then we get there and then we just make them the idol you know and if we're not starting that focus on God we're not mm-hmm. starting with you know this is what I'm about I'm about Jesus you know I'm about him like if I'm not doing that now and then I get to where I'm dating I'm just making that girl the same thing like she's the idol it's like it just transitions. So if I don't start with this focus on Christ, if I don't start, you know, where is my hope? Where am I finding my joy? Am I seeking joy in God? If I'm not starting there, it's just it's going to snowball. Even when I do start dating someone, you know, it just becomes the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, I just want to add to that great thought what Tim just said, and uh, and just being a follower of Christ for going on. <laughs> almost 18, 20 years now. Um, I've just seen different seasons where I've gone through mm-hmm. droughts and just saw it my own way. And it's really easy to get off course. Mm-hmm. If you go here, you probably heard Todd talk about slow leaks mm-hmm. in your life. And so if you're not shoring up those leaks, you, they're just going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're off course just by a little bit. And for me, when I when idols creep into my life, um, oftentimes uh, there's there's temptation involved. And so we were just talking about some different scriptures and uh what came to mind first for me was Jesus was in the desert mm. was you know for 40 days Matthew 4 mm. and Satan's tempting him and Jesus points back to um, Deuteronomy he points back to scripture going hey I'm not going to have any other gods besides my own God um, and so even in that moment so he was prepared uh, and many times in my life I've not been prepared when temptations come mm. or when false idols have kind of prop themselves up and they become gods to me and I'm going, why am I off course right now? Hmm. Well, it's probably because I've been off course for, for a while. Um, so begs the question, how do you get back on course? Um, a couple of scriptures that came to mind, uh, Psalm 16, 8 and 9 says, I've set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand. I won't be shaken. My flesh, um, my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. And just being reminded of the truth in that. Um, and also just, you know, you guys have probably talked about this. Sorry I'm talking awkwardly with the mic stuck to my chin, but I found this the easiest way to make it work. <laughs> but I think uh, you guys have probably talked about, you know, the idea that, that God is good, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we forget that, I often forget that. Yeah. I'm like, man, he's good. Um, so when I forget that, I go back to Psalm 84 and just am reminded of, uh, the truth in Psalm 84, 10 through 12. Um, so write that down. Take a look at it for yourselves. Um, I'm going to quit talking. Give somebody else a chance. I think on what Mo was talking about, it just reminded me of, is God good? David in Psalm 63 says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I've beheld the power of your glory. Like We've been there. We've seen God's goodness, Like, and it's not going away. And he goes, because your love is better than life, I will glorify you. It doesn't say I'm going to glorify you in... You know, things are great, or when things, it's like all the time, I know you're good and I'm going to glorify you. And that's thats a truth that tells us He is good. We know it. We've seen it. We've seen Him here. And like, we've got to rest in that. So good. So at some point, does waiting for a spouse interfere 
with um, that that same place of you're waiting for Christ? Like, what does that look like? That you're you're waiting on the return of Christ. You're waiting for a spouse. This whole waiting period that you're in the middle of. Um, and how do we keep all these things rightly aligned? Like, what's the difference in that? When we talked about it, it covered a little bit in our talk, but just kind of from your own perspective, like, this is the difference between waiting on Christ and waiting for a spouse. Is there a difference? And how do we keep these things rightly aligned in our hearts? You know, does that make sense? Like, I would have said, hey, all but waiting, just to kind of remind you, all of our waiting is on waiting on the Lord. And there might be some waiting for some side dreams, but really we place all of our weight in the Lord. So how do we keep that really just aligned in its rightful place, like practical. Cause I don't know about y'all. Do y'all have that place where you're like, yeah, I mean, I just, I kind of get stuck in that place of, I mean, I want a husband some days. And then some days it's like, Oh no, I totally just waiting for the Lord. You know, I'm really good today. So how, like, does that make sense? Um, I would say that for me, just thinking about it, um, a lot of times as believers, we, pursue God with this hidden agenda that sometimes we don't even realize of, mm. okay, I, I am going to pursue God, but in the end, I want the blessings that he's going to pour out mm-hmm. me. I want, I want that husband or that wife and that house and that great job and those kids. Um, when truly the reason we pursue the Lord is, um, to be intimate with our creator and, um, because we get to pursue holiness and, um, when he cleanses us of our sins, we then took on righteousness and we get to just walk intimately with him. And it's so hard to then um, think of it that way, but really just setting my mind on that and thinking that's why I pursue God um, is because he saved me from my sin. And so therefore I don't, I don't deserve these things that I feel entitled to. And so, so many times that gets confused in there of like, well, I'm going to pursue the Lord and I'm going to do a good mm-hmm. job and do all these good works because ultimately I want this great godly man to notice me when that's that's not the reason I should be pursuing the Lord in the first place. Mm-hmm. So just remembering my motive and remembering that I pursue God for holiness and not for a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would just add add to that. Uh, I think the question begs another question, or it does to me at least. Are you fully alive? Am I doing all that I can um, to be alive in Christ? And so for the guys, I would I would challenge you with that. You know, what in your life are you doing that, that makes you come to life? Mm-hmm. And for the, for the females, the same going for, for me as a guy, the most attractive thing I think about a female is if she's got something going on besides looking for a guy, mm-hmm. is she pursuing the Lord in a way that's just, that's just attractive. I mean, think about the people that you know that you're like, man, I, there's something different about their life that I just, that I'm just drawn to. And it's mm-hmm. probably not because they're trying to impress you. It's probably because they're on mission for the Lord. And so I would just challenge all of us with that and going, what does my life look like? And then, you know, I think Betsy's exactly right. Um, we need good people around us. We need to have community around us that help us weigh our motives. Uh, the Proverbs remind us that, you know, all our ways are, are clean in our own eyes, but the Lord weighs our hearts and our motives. And so just having good people in your life that are going, hey, you know, are you doing that because of, you know, the Lord's calling you to, or are you doing that because you want something out of this? And so it's just good to have that in, in there as well. And I, I'm going to bring it down even another level and be real practical with you guys. Have your community be asking you questions on a regular basis. Where is your focus? Where is your heart? 
What do you want? What, uh, whatever those questions to help you with your, you know, manipulation, thought process, whatever it is, your triggers, whatever, however you want to word it, you know, make sure your community knows where you're vulnerable. Know where those yellow lights are that could go to red. Okay? Make sure there are people in your life that are willing to ask you those hard questions. And then, if you're not being honest, ask yourself, why am I not being honest? Am I trying to hide something? Be real practical, because I think this is really key. Because let me tell you, the temptations are out there to have you place your identity, to place your hope in something else to skew your priorities away from following Jesus. We touched on a little bit um, when you when you spoke, man. You touched a little bit on emotional promiscuity, okay. And I just want to set that up a little bit and then kind of release it for y'all. Um, emotional promiscuity. It's kind of funny because we see in the world a lot of the people sleep around, and there's a sexual promiscuity. Mm-hmm. We see that, and then in the Christian world, the emotional promiscuity is the exact same thing. It's just there's no sex. We're still giving our hearts and our emotions to somebody without promise of any kind of commitment. Okay, that's exactly what that sexual promiscuity is that we see in the world. And so, like, when you picture it that way, we go, oh, clearly that's not a good way to do life. But then in those little ways that we cheat and emotionally mm-hmm. emotionally give ourselves and we're promiscuous. So I guess my question is, there's a couple if here, and y'all can answer however you want to, but... What's the guy's role in that? Guy's role in that. What's the girl's role in that? What um, are there any triggers that we can avoid for that? Um, what just kind of give us some tips and role like practical take home? What is expand more on that? Maybe Mandy a little bit, and then yeah. You know, one of the things, and I, you know, again, I mean, this is this is my soapbox for women and men. Um, and so I think for us, we have to be confident as our identity in Christ as a woman and a man. You have to be secure in that because if you're not secure in that, you're going to look to someone, and it's typically going to be the opposite sex, else to help you feel secure as either a woman or a man. And it's easy to um, get that met by a person who um, desires more of a commitment from you. And and I think we have to be careful. We have to guard our own hearts, and we have to guard each other's hearts. You know, we have to see men as I need to see men as brothers in Christ, not potential dating relationships. And men, you have to see women as sisters in Christ, not potential dating relationships. And so our perspective has got to change in this arena. It, it's got, we've, we've got to see that other person as more important than ourselves. Because when we get into a promiscuity role, we are seeing ourself, our identity, our insecurity, our needs. We're trying to get them met through the back door in that type of relationship. So, again, don't be fearful. I'm praying this doesn't make you fearful of commitment, but it would make you more strong in that arena to take that step of faith. If you have an interest, men, in that woman, ask her out. 
ask her out and, and, and be bold and take that step of faith and do it. Don't try to figure it out through an emotional promiscuity. And for women, it just if you're desirous of him, let him make the first move. You don't make that first move through texting, through calling. I mean, I'm speaking as a mom now, you know, don't don't make those first moves with those men. Let them do it. We are circumventing who God has created them to be as men, as leaders, if we make it easy. And again, what we think is making it easy confuses them. Okay. No, I don't want to talk too much about this. But yes, yes, question. I love that. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you for asking a question. I just like what does that look like? You said guys don't do that like emotional like example. What, let, what is a guy saying to me that's not appropriate? Have- hang on just a second. Let me let me ask Mo and Tim that. Okay, let me ask a male to, to answer those questions. <laughs> <laughs> So what is a guy saying to you? <laughs> what is a guy saying to you that's not appropriate? Like, how do we? How do you know? What does it look like? Um, well, I'd say, girls. First of all, guys are really good at like being stupid. Like, we're really good at that, and we're really good at you know being like, oh, it's it's fun to talk to girls, and a lot of guys will just, or it's easy to just, you know. I'll just kind of like talk to her. She's just a friend, but really we're, you know, talking about kind of really serious things where I'm, you know, I'm telling her these things that are really personal and I'm, I'm building up hope in you that's yes. not really there. Very and that's the thing. Yeah. Very you know, good, Tim. Good when, job. when we are, I mean, if I'm talking to you and I'm, you know, like hinting at things, we're talking about things where it's getting to be this point where I'm like leading you on. I don't want to use that term, but you know, I'm building this hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, Exactly. That's that's it. I don't know if that answers your question. That's great. So that engaging, he is engaging your heart in a way that's inappropriate for. Right. Right. I mean, I'd, right. I'd say if I'm going out of my way to to talk to you and do these things, and I have no intention of actually taking this anywhere, mm-hmm. then I'm. I mean, I'm just really building myself up in some way. You know, that's I'm right. I'm making myself feel like, oh, I can talk to the girls. I can, you know. This or that. It's really all for me and it's completely selfish and it's yeah. nothing to do. You know, it's, it's, it's robbing you of That's great. things. That's great. Good job, Tim. Yeah, I've heard it, I've heard it said this way from a friend of mine. You're meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Good. Right? So it's exactly what both our panelists have said. You know, getting something back when the reality is Christ is going, hey, how are you serving people? Mm-hmm. So point you back to Philippians 2 and Christ's example there. And he's doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility is considering your interests better than his own. So are you doing that with the other person? And so specifically, practically, if I'm texting you every day, Mindy, and I'm not asking you out, there's something wrong there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm getting something back from you that, that may be a legitimate need of mine, but I'm getting in an illegitimate way. So that's just one practical way. Or if a guy is calling you, or vice versa. Girls, if you're doing that to another guy, if you're kind of hanging on, asking him to do stuff all the time, and, and he's not, you know, there, there's a point where you can make yourself available, and there's a point of, man, that's not attractive. Mm-hmm. She's, she's kind of taking my role, and I, I don't want that, mm-hmm. right? Good. Betsy, you want that? Oh, um, I was just going to add... You know, just seeing this with 
I mean, in my own life and then um, friends, and I like to call them friendationships um, because it is fulfilling this emotional need. And um, a, a, what practically a rule of thumb that I always think of, and again, this is not, doesn't cover the board, but um, I always think of, okay, so if this friendship that I have with this guy, if it wouldn't be appropriate if I were to date someone, then it's probably inappropriate right now. So that's just a good rule of thumb for me and how I try to think of it and um, treating my guy friends and and loving them and um, being good to them as their sister in Christ. I kind of do that same thing. Just I know I'm not on the panel, but I am up here. So I kind of do that same thing in that um, with fellas, just kind of that mentality of it's my brother. If if this was my brother, and um, would I do this exact same thing? Would I would I have that same conversation if this is just my brother? You know, um, and then also like there is an intimacy level. Mindy, as Mindy was talking about, just kind of of, are we talking about stuff that, yeah, he should be keeping for his community? Should he be saying that with guys, not with me, you know? Um, or is this me really just loving on him well as his sister in Christ? Like, what does that look like? You know, would I invite him to this and not somebody else? Or do I just legitimately think, oh man, he's my friend. And I just, I think he'd be, he'd love to do this, you know? And, um, so I kind of think that that's kind of something that we have to filter through too. And you know, the motive in your heart. Mm -hmm. You know it, and you can fake it, and you can act like, I just am being a friend. I'm just saying that. Like, it's okay. It's legit. My friend said I could text him that. You know, we we know. We know motives in our heart. We do. And you can act like, and you can lie to yourself, but you know it. So when you strip it back, what is the reality? What's the truth behind that? What is that? Man, I, like, um... I have caught myself going, you know what? I want attention from this person, so I'm going to text them. And mm. so that was something that just like early on in dating, I, I found out like, man, if if I'm going to my phone going, I want attention from them, and that's why I'm texting them. That's not okay. So for a while, I just kind of had a stopgap with my community. Like, okay, I'm not allowed to text anybody <laughs> except for my community group and my family. And not not even a bad, like, I was texting everybody in the world thing, but just kind of a, I really, I know the motives of my heart. Mm -hmm. Let's dial that back. It's not like I'm stalking somebody or chasing somebody, but I know the motive behind that one text. And I don't want that one text to go out that doesn't have the right motive behind it and how I'm treating somebody because that one text is sin for me. Does that make sense? So kind of to go from that, sorry, I think it's my mic, David. Um, to kind of go from that, to kind of this next, um, the natural progression, which we have a lot of these questions are. So you feel like you're out of control, you, which is kind of why we are emotionally promiscuous with other folks. We feel like we're out of control in these relationships. What do we do when no one's asking us out? Um, what do we do when we feel like, um, and I have probably three questions about this. So um, what do we feel like when no one's asking us out and we're just kind of, or um, when we don't see any girls that we are interested in, on the other hand of things, like how how do we kind of wrestle in the middle of that space? Punt. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a couple things. A, a couple things come to mind for me. Um, one, um, I just we were talking about this proverb earlier. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, mm -hmm. but a glory filled is the tree of life. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's going to be times where you're just. It's, it's not encouraging. It's not fun going, gosh, I've been waiting and praying, and it's just not happening, whether it's a relationship or, or something else. Um, 
and, and Psalm 37 comes to mind as well. There's just, and I think it might have been in Annette's notes. She might have covered this, but just talking about dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Commit your works to the Lord, and He'll give you desires of your heart. And so that doesn't mean, hey, if I do these things, then God gives me something back. It talks about um, your desires are going to change when you're doing what the Lord has for you. I see Russ waving his hand in the back. Do you have a question? That's excellent. Russ, what's the reference to that so they can look it up? Uh, I have no idea. I just remember it from... I'll find it. I've got a photographic memory. I just remember it from the day. That's good. Thank you, Russ. And I think that's where you have to um, focus on contentment and God's provision. I think about Philippians 4. I think about Paul. And, um, you know, he... uh, Verse 11... 411, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So, again, I want our focus can't be in waiting for that specific wanting. Our focus has to be on the Lord and the provision that he has already made. And he has already provided beautifully for all of us, specifically in salvation. And then also in the sanctification piece, because he promises, he promises that the work he started will be complete. So for us, the, it's, it comes about perspective. I went, um, before I met Leonard, I think I was probably dateless, if you will, after I finally buried the guy that I was in an emotional relationship with, probably three years, four years before we got married or something like that. And that was a very difficult time for me. I was in my late 30s. I went through a real period of letting go of of having children. And so don't, 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 don't hesitate to acknowledge the suffering piece of this. The desires of your heart, the longings fulfilled, Russ. Don't hesitate to acknowledge that and live in that reality. But also, you got to go the other side. I, I, I want to be content in the wanting and in the fulfilling. Remember what God has already provided for you. So good. Let's talk a little bit more about... Um just in, in view of that intentionality, I think that's kind of natural progression, and we have a couple questions on that. Just what does intentionality look like as you're waiting? Um, um, twofold. One, if you have heartbreak and you're turning from fear or you're turning from a regret in a re- last relationship, and then on the other end of things like intentionality is you're stepping ahead and, mm-hmm. and making the most um, of your singleness. So it's kind of twofold as you're waiting in your singleness how do you recover from brokenness? Okay, regret, either w- with that being a regret of something or just fear or pain. And then on the other hand of things, like how do you be intentional about stepping forward in a really, man, let's do life. Let's make the most carpe diem. Let go. <laughs> uh, speaking on the, the brokenness side of things, like, I always turn to Lamentation 3, and I think uh, 
I don't know if Annette talked about that earlier, but when you read it, you can go read the whole thing, but he is broken. He's talking about his bones being crushed. His soul is dying. And then he goes, and then in verse 23, he says, but then I remember. He just he calls to mind. The guy says, but then I remember the steadfast Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. And I just, like, they're new every morning. I don't have to be able to make it through the next month. I don't have to be able to make it through the next week even. It's every day he's mm-hmm. giving me the mercy to get through that day. And at the end of that day, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to be worn down, I'm going to be hurting still, but I know in the in the morning His mercies are coming anew and His love never ceases. That's mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, where I go when I think of brokenness. Like, that's, that's, a, I don't know, that's all I have to say. Here, just for a second, just give us like a 45-second, one-minute kind of story of, do you mind about your journey over the past probably 18 months, a year, two years of um, your own, like, dreams being dashed kind of thing yeah so uh it's not a story of a relationship or a of broken hardness hardness in that way but uh a year ago actually like a year and a week ago i thought i was headed i was in dallas i was like i'm out of here i'm headed to bigger and better things i I thought i was headed to denver or to san diego and i thought i was going to be potentially playing rugby in the olympics in 2016 like i was like that's where i'm headed I had got a call on Wednesday that I was headed to the Olympic Training Center. I was like, these are my dreams. Like, God, this is happening. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, we're going to do this. We're going to change. the. And I was like, I'm going to change the rugby world. I'm going to do this. And part of the problem is I'm saying, I'm going to do this. I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. And Wednesday I get this call. It's, I mean, it's a, a dream. I've been training for eight years. And I'm mm-hmm. headed to the Olympic Training Center on Saturday. I uh, play a game and I get hit and I tear my ACL and destroy my knee and it i it's not it was as bad as any breakup i've had like i it was devastating like mm-hmm. i was at the low of the low i was like god what are, what are you doing i've done this before i've been here before like now what what's happening you know i i was broken hearted i had no emotion i was i was dead and all i could do was be obedient like god i just got to do this and and over this last year god has done amazing things just through me being obedient mm-hmm. you know and he has pulled me out of that, and he has truly changed the desires of my heart. Like, I cannot play because of the nature of my injury. I can't play at that level, and he has changed my heart. He said, you know, your your identity is not in your athletic ability. It's not in seeking these things that are going to bring glory to you. Like, your identity is in me, mm-hmm. you know. you know. And he said, leave here, go here, you know, like, and you're here. Live, like, and then I was talking about talk, living in the moment, you know. She was talking about... I'm I'm not in that moment anymore. I'm in this moment. I'm here, and whether I'm playing rugby or I'm serving a watermark or I'm working at my work, it's like that's where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be, you know, trying to. I don't have to be doing that, and so that's it's kind of where I come from. Just just to kind of um, bounce off of that, then too, I just want you to know, like one of the things that he did that I have seen as a testimony of his life to kind of counter that, like here he is in the middle of this place of just brokenness and dreams being dashed, and like within weeks jumped on to serving at the porch and like just do- dove head first into community and saying, you know what, life's bigger than me. And that's one of the first stories that I heard out of Tim's mouth was this story of, yeah, just a couple weeks ago, this happened. This is crazy. This happened. And like not seeing this man who's like crying and sitting and soaking and souring like I did for a few months after my broken engagement, but really just like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do what I know to be true, which is be obedient to the Lord, jump into community and serve his body. 
And so I kind of just think that that's a beautiful testimony of a man that just kind of walked through that. And one of the things that we're grateful for him today, um, y'all have something to respond to that. Go ahead. I'd like to share something. And I know Betsy has something as well. So I'll be really brief. So I had a really difficult breakup, um, a couple of years ago. And actually Mandy was, uh, I went over to her and Leonard's house afterwards and had dinner. And I remember the advice and counsel they gave me was, Hey, why don't you just take some time to, to be still? And, uh, it was probably the best counsel I've gotten out of from anybody during that time. And it took a year and I didn't date. I didn't ask anybody out. I didn't seek anything else. It was, it was a difficult time, but one of the best times. Um, and so kind of the converse of that, depending on how you're wired, I'm mm-hmm. probably a little bit more, um, I'm just introspective. And so for me, I needed to be introspective. Uh, you know, Tim mentioned Lamentations 3 and verse 20, um, 23 or 24. It says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he hear the yoke, that he bear the yoke in his youth. And for me, it, I needed to do that. That was probably the nearest um, I've experienced the Lord um, after that breakup. And it was good to grieve. Mm-hmm. So give your heart opportunities to grieve if, if you haven't done that. I don't know what the stories are. I'm sure there's tons of stories. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. divorce in here. I'm sure there's brokenness in here. There's all different ages in here, right? So mm-hmm. um, there is an opportunity there for you to grieve and, and to draw near to the Lord. And then I would say, um, you know, I mentioned Psalm 84 before. And I want to read it to you um, really quick because it's really, really good. And then Betsy has good things to share too. Uh, this is Psalm 84. It says this. Um, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart is the, is the highway to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. I love that. So they, they make, they go through this valley, but it's a place of springs. And the reason it's a place of springs is because God is with them and he's walking in there with them. Um, last thing I'll share when I was going through that grieving process, I remember taking long walks with the Lord every night, probably an hour, hour and a half. I would just walk around these neighborhoods and I would pray. And it was, is this really, really sweet time with God where I was, um, not focused on all the other things that are drawing or looking for my attention, uh, and, and so grateful for that time. And I, oftentimes I go back um, and go, man, I kind of want to go through a hard time like that to be near the Lord again. And I, I never understood that. I heard Francis Chan, who's, a, who's an author, say this once. He's like, I want to suffer like Christ. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> I don't want any of that. That, that doesn't sound fun at all to me. Um, but I, I realized going through that hardship, and, and maybe you guys talked about it because I, I saw somebody come up and ask about the book Shattered Dreams uh, earlier in this is there is really some some sweetness in your suffering so don't don't let that go wasted Russ has a question Betsy. I wanted to call her Bethany. I don't know why. My sister's name is Betsy. I should never remember, forget that name. We're going to have Betsy share for just a second. Can I have six extra minutes of y'all's time? Would y'all mind if we went six minutes late? Is that okay? 
because we, we, I want to finish this and then give us each a chance to just kind of give you, hey, this is a package of what we didn't say that we wish that we could apart to you. Um, so we'll, we'll each give kind of a minute on that. But then also we have these, we have evaluations. We would just really highly value you saying, hey, this stunk. Annette, you need to, you need to quit talking or, you know, like whatever that looks like that you're like, this didn't help or this did help or man, I walked away going, this encouraged me so that we can be more intentional and be more effective at loving people well and teaching and training people well, okay? So um, Mandy's being phenomenal and proactive back there. So she's passing these out. If you would fill one of these out before you leave today and get it to us, that would be amazing. Um, But then also I want to give each of our people on our panel a chance and then Mandy and myself just say, hey, we didn't get to say this. We would really love you all to hear this kind of thing, okay? So Betsy, real quick, and then we'll start with the rest of the panel. Um, I just, going off of especially being a girl and um, a lot of times it's just waiting and as girls we want to control it or plan it and um, it's hard when I think sometimes we think okay but I'm pursuing the Lord and and there's just no one asking me out so what can I do and um, but something that I think is so great about our God is Psalm 34 18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit and um you know, we serve this God who um, was fully God and he sent his son who was fully God and fully man to come to this earth. And the thing is, he walked where we've walked and um, he knows the sorrows that we, we feel. And I think sometimes we forget that um, when we think on the Lord and... Um, but that he understands, he understands the brokenness that we're feeling, understands the sorrow that we're feeling and to really cry out to him. And, um, I think I can go ahead and just do my little spiel for 30 seconds left of it. But, um, really just knowing that kind of what Mo was saying, but it's okay to grieve, take Mm it, grieve over it, grieve over what you're feeling and then continue to pursue Christ and be obedient and be faithful because, um, the faithfulness that we are, um, and that we learn from our God, our God is immensely and just so much more faithful than we can even fathom to us. And so just continue to, um, to get to know him and to, and to pursue him, um, run fast after him. And, um, because you don't want to be in the same spot if you have a broken heart. You don't want to be in the same spot 10 years down the road um, that you are when it just happened. And you wouldn't expect that from someone who have just lost someone. Um, but sometimes we treat that with singleness and, and brokenheartedness. We don't know how to grieve and then continue to move forward. So um, your feelings are real, and that's okay, and cry out to God, but then continue pursuing Him and being and be obedient. Uh, I was just, I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about this panel and just all the struggles we go through with singleness, it's work. And mm-hmm. in Colossians it says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will you appear with him in glory. And like, our time here is short, and mm-hmm. I know we hear that a lot, but... This stuff is, it matters now and it matters to us, but in the big picture, it doesn't matter. Like, what matters is that, like Betsy said, a man came and died and rose again, and we're gonna spend eternity with him. And that's, like, that is the greatest thing in the world, and we know that. And when you know that, this stuff, this world's gonna stink. It's, 
bad stuff's going to happen. We're going to be really sad. There's going to be things that are hard, but we know where we're headed and we know where we're mm-hmm. going. It, when you know that truth and you know what Christ did on the cross, then I'm like, it's awesome. It's mm-hmm. so cool that we know that. That's, mm-hmm. well. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, if there's any thought that I'd leave you guys with, I'd leave you with a verse, um, which is one that I meditate on often. It's 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we demolish every argument and every pretended pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And the reason I would leave you with that is, is in your waiting, the enemy's going to whisper to you and, and try to draw you away from Christ, and he's going to try to let you uh, or try to make you forget the gospel and, and the goodness of what my two friends just shared with you. And ultimately, I think we all know this in the depths of our heart that God is good, that He has good things for you. Um, what I didn't read in Psalm 84 just talks about that he's a son and a shield. Um, Todd talks about it all the time, that he provides and protects, right? And so remembering that God is good, that he has a plan for you, I would challenge you again. Um, even, I don't know what season you're in, you might be in a season of grieving, and if you are, that's great. Stay there and, and spend time with the Lord in the valley. But when you come out of the valley, ask yourself, hey, am I doing all that I'm being called to do by you, Lord, and be fully alive? And in the waiting, you can be moving and asking the Lord um, how you can be serving him every day. Mm-hmm. So a great question to ask. I think Amanda probably asks, asks this of herself and, and Annetta and the rest of my friends up here. Um, how can I serve you today, Lord? What would you have me do? Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Um, I think my encouragement for y'all has to go with your focus on the Lord and to remember how sweet he is in his blessings. And again, to get your focus off the blessing of marriage, of relationship, but onto those little daily things that you see, write down and remember. Remember how good the Lord has been to you. Um, remember, remember, remember what he done, what he has done. Who's he, who has he placed in your life to encourage you, to love you, et cetera? Cause we do serve a loving God that wants to give us every good thing. It talks about in James one, every good thing is from him. So record those and remember them. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what he's blessed you with. There are a few of you in here who don't know the Jesus that we're talking about. And for those of you who would like to know that Jesus that we're talking about, who want to know that God who is so good and that God who is so able and the God who has birthed these dreams in your hearts, we would love to have that conversation with you just to kind of say, hey, this is who Jesus is. And we would love for you to know him and to walk with him and to have this hope and this experience and this blessing on your life. Um, for myself, as we walk out of here, I just am challenged to know God more to seek Him more, to put my heart in Him more, to rest in Him more, to abide in Him more. And really, it's just more about Jesus for me. Like, it's more and more and more in that place of going, okay, God, what's next? And it's less about this angst place of waiting and this restlessness, but it's more about, as Augustine says, finding myself in God and going, am I abiding every moment of every day? Am I abiding? Am I listening really well to you? Am I learning about you? Am I spending my days with my mind set on the things above? Or am I set, setting my mind on the things that are here on the earth, which are just passing away? Um, so I guess I just encourage y'all, and I just, I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and 
Is that okay? Or um, I just would love to say whatever she said, remember that. Because um, this woman right here is incredibly wise and has lived a, a, a life that testifies to God's goodness um, over her life and to his working in her life. Um, and, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, and remember one thing from today. Just pick one thing that you're like, that's what I'm supposed to walk away and do. Before you leave, figure out what one thing you are to do and then do it. Okay? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We're really grateful for your presence. We're grateful that you are here today. We love you. Just, we are just, our hearts are found in you and we have not said, I can't pray anything that we haven't already said today. It feels like God, just that, um, I pray that you would be upon every single person in here, that you would go with them, God, that you would guard their steps. You'd go before them. You'd come behind them and that we would all walk away with a deeper understanding of your call upon our lives. God, I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit would make so clear what one really practical takeaway we can just walk away and do. And I pray that we would all abide in you that you would get our hearts and that you would hold our hearts captive, God. You would, as the psalmist says, chain them to yourself. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Help us to go change the world. Amen.